And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam of the Assassin's Guild. And I'm Zach of the T's Guild. The T's The T's Guild. The T's You know what I mean? I like you. That's going to down in this is suspiciously similar to your uh, Irish accent, Zach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't have very good accents. <laughs> hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> we, that's how we open every show. We say, hi, guys. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. What are we guys, talking about this week, Zach? We, we're we talking got, about Gambit. Have you heard of him? He's very, very... Okay, he says he's Cajun. No. But he's not, because I'm pretty sure... Cajun country is actually above New Orleans. Nalens, Nalens is a car. Is it called hmm. All anyway. I know is that I have now seen Gambit without his overcoat on for extended fight scenes. And I don't know if I can unsee that. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Gambit's a trip. I kind of love him. He's very dumb. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'll get more into it when we start talking about this uh, first story, but I never thought in a million years that I would care a whit about the Assassin's Guild or the Thieves Guild. And I'm going to admit something. What we covered today may actually have changed my mind. Can I tell you, can I tell you a secret, Adam? <laughs> Go ahead. Not mine. <laughs> I still don't care. Well, we, we haven't, touched this subject since i think um the brood saga one or not yeah, the brood saga but the time that the, uh, the brood trouble in the big easy yeah brood, brood trouble in the big easy um so this comes to us from a request right eric cotton went on over to uh patreon.com slash xavier files and he uh he threw through a little cheddar our way uh threw us some beads if you would and said, hey, uh, show me your episode about Gambit in his 1993-4 miniseries, and I will give you these beads that are metaphorically dollars. Mm. And that's what we did because we are sellouts. And <laughs> you know what? That's just that's just something that happens. Uh, so, yeah, this is – what is this? 1993 Gambit. Uh, limited series uh, written by Howard Mackey and uh, killer art team here. We've got Lee Weeks and Klaus Jansen doing inks. Uh, Klaus Jansen's very good at inks, guys. Man. And Lee Weeks, like, uh, this is a great combination, the two of them. I don't know Lee Weeks very well. I do know that he wrote and drew a very good Daredevil story once that Mm. I liked. I gotta say regardless of his political affiliations uh i think he's doing a great job here and and jansen uh doing the inks over top of him is you know lending this a miller-esque kind of quality that uh, i think is absolutely wonderful oh yeah the 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 art in this is pretty darn killer 
Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about what this is about? Because we're we're going to get the Assassin and Thieves Guild fleshed out a lot more in these four issues. Yeah. Uh, so y'all remember Gambit and his wife, Belladonna? Belladonna uh, Bedro? <laughs> Who died? Who died? Uh, anyway, she she not dead. No. Uh, she live. So Gambit, Gambit go down to Nylons and broker broker truce between Tease Guild and Assassin Guild. And the benefactor Chandra stopped the tithe. <laughs> you gotta stop doing the accent. <laughs> yeah, so the the external it's, look, uh, look, the accent is just as clear as every piece of dialogue Gambit has in this dang comic. This is a very thick point. Gambit phonetic accent. That is true. So let ask you something here. The mythology of the um, the elixir. Is this the first uh, time we're hearing about this? This I idea? Think, I think so. Yeah. Because uh, the way they present it, and I'm not sure how much of this I'm remembering from this comic versus the X-Men animated series. <laughs> uh, look, and I think it's about 50-50. Uh, in the X-Men animated series, I think Chandra Sean, uh, was like a like a genie. Oh. Like a genie from a bottle instead of just an external hanging out in Paris. Uh, but I digress. Uh, the elixir is what the T's get uh, from their benefactor, Chandra. And the assassins get power. They get superpowers, uh, which are all vaguely defined. In the elixir, you live forever for most people. But some people, it has a bad side effect of killing them. Right. So... Belladonna's brother is this character named Julian, who's basically like a guy in a black bodysuit with sharp fingers who goes around slashing people. Yeah, last wants... we checked, Gambit accidentally killed him. Yes. And that's why he left uh, Belladonna at the altar. Were what? they actually married? I honestly don't remember. Everyone keeps saying that um, that's his wife. I think so. I mean, he constantly refers to her as his wife, so I'm just going to go with it. Yeah, um, let's let's keep let's just keep running. Running. Yeah. So, Julian wants the elixir and we get introduced to a cast of characters here who I'm not sure if they've appeared elsewhere, but uh we we get the tithe collector. The tithe collector. Um, yeah, we get um uh who who's the nurse? Um Hanta... uh, uh I forget her name. Anyway, uh, she's she's in a weird spot in this comic uh, because she feels like a she feels like an odd uh, like callback to like Gone with the Wind and other uh, plantation era stories where they got like a black nurse that really cares about the family and all this stuff. And it's got some weird implications that I think were more or less thought through in the 90s. But now not as great. <laughs> well, Tanta Matty will uh, come back in another story we're going to talk about as well. Oh, yeah. But... She has secret talks through water powers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like uh, Moana. Uh, yeah. Make way, make Moana's way. Grandmother. So, you know, essentially Gambit wants the elixir to help save Belladonna, who is alive, but is in, I guess, some kind of uh, coma. And so he's got to fight his way through uh, the assassins, through Kandra, through Julian, through his dad. I mean, like, it, it's just a, a brawl the entire way. 
um, so that he can help save Belladonna. But what's complicating this is that Rogue is tagging along and sort of keeping an eye on Belladonna uh, does something that's uh, an accident, but um, also not so cool. Uh, yeah, she touches Belladonna. And since you know how Rogue uh, touches people and then absorbs all their memories uh, and life force, she touched a comatose lady who was about to, who was on death's bed and the wife of her current uh, boy toy mm-hmm. to learn about everyone's dark past. And that's less cool uh, of Rogue. Because, look, it's an accident, but it's one of those accidents that you put yourself in a situation where an accident could easily happen. And what if it just happened? Yeah, it's uh, it's an unfortunate accident because she's pulling her arm back from her intention to actually touch Belladonna, but then Belladonna's arm moves. Um, so Belladonna, and this will come back later in our show, uh, loses a big chunk of her past as part of this action. Yeah, which is less great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um I don't know. Like my reaction reading this was like, oh, I actually kind of find this engaging. Like it's very silly. Um it's no less silly than it was introduced in uh adjectiveless X-Men or um <laughs> you know, in the Ghost Rider crossover, but I don't know, there's something like vaguely just silly and fun about this that I was along for the ride and I think the artwork helped a lot with that. If this was a lesser um, art team, I think I I probably would have tuned out a lot faster. But um, one thing that I kept thinking as I read through the three stories that we're covering today is that I think we often like kind of lump the nineties in with, uh, especially after the image exodus with a brand of copycat artists that are all trying to be the image artists and I don't know. These three series that we're going to cover today have pretty quality art teams on them that are doing some really good stuff. Um, uh, it actually like kills. This is a pretty good looking, uh, good looking. Uh, what's what do we call these things? Comic books? Yeah, that's the one. This is a good looking yeah. comic book. I didn't buy into the story. I like the soap opera parts. Yes. Uh, but just like anything with the externals loses me. Like, I don't know why Kandra does what she does. What is her motivation besides I'm bored? I think that's pretty much it. I mean, she likes messing around in Gambit's life, I think, because it's implied that they have had a relationship in the past. Yeah, they defo hooked up. Um, and <laughs> it is also bizarre that like Gideon makes a cameo appearance in this comic book for no reason. Um, and his very good ponytail. <laughs> Yeah, he's just sort of standing around looking buff um, while his ponytail switches swishes around. Uh, so, yeah, I think your mileage is going to vary on this, but I bought into the soap opera-iness of it, and I, I thought it was fun. It's, yeah, it's not my fave. I get it. Uh, and I, like, if someone has an affection for this, I get it. I can understand being in the 90s, and seeing Gambit and thinking, oh, he's cool. Oh, this is his story, and it's about his secret past where there's an entire team of expert thieves uh, fighting a secret war against an entire team of expert assassins. You could make several video games about this, uh, just having them <laughs> do this throughout time. Uh, but it just 
it didn't resonate with me personally. I like my favorite parts of this are the soap opera moments between Gambit, uh, like when Gambit has to talk with his brother Henry or talk with his father or talk with Rogue. Mm-hmm. That's I'm into it. When we're dealing with the Tath Collector and we're dealing with Chandra and we're dealing with all the assassins, I just like I I can't be bothered to care about that. Okay. I, I think that's fair. Um, and I, I don't know just how much like the book really wants you to like, <laughs> I don't know what it, it's asking you in terms of your investment level. Um, it, it, I think the, that Mackie knows this is very silly material and is just playing it to the hilt. And, you know, we get these panels of gambit kind of screaming into the sky or screaming at his father and i was making fun of them on twitter the other day but you know like there is a corny quality to this that i feel like some of this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek there's a fine line between parody and just doing the thing Mm -hmm. and i feel like this comic falls on the wrong side of that line i feel like it more just does the thing yeah well, and that, you know what, I think part of selling Gambit as a character is to do that. Because if you don't, like, if you think about Gambit's very, very stupid costume, his very, very stupid backstory, like, he is an absolutely ridiculous character. You know, we we talked about Adam X in a, in a past episode and how silly his look is. Adam X's costume is no sillier than Gambit's. Like, uh, No, Gambit has a head sock and a trench coat. And some sort of weird like cards. <laughs> yeah. And has like this weird like prism collar around his his shoulders. It's so bizarre. Um, and, and it's highlighted all the more when he takes the trench coat off in these issues um, and gets into fights because you're like, oh, wow, that is the costume. That's yeah. wild. Also, um, one technical thing I noticed in this story. Uh, some of the lettering is just bad. It's well, like there's, this, this there's weird... some unreadable lettering in here and not from yeah. a font selection, just from a how you're laying it out on the page. I'm an experienced comic reader. I have read at least 207 comic books and I struggled with some of the pages in here. That's not what you want. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of difficulty, but I can understand where you're coming from. There's a couple of different things like where the, the, um, narration boxes are supposed to look like cards and things like that, that, you know, they're unorthodox choices that I can see maybe make for a more difficult reading experience. Um, but I don't know. Overall, I enjoyed this quite a bit. So why don't we, why don't we talk about ranking this? It sounds like I like this a lot more than you did. Um, where were you thinking about on the list? Well, our list, as I said, has 107 stories on it. Holy cow. A lot. Uh, Days of Future Past and Astonishing X-Men Gifted are the top two. Mm-hmm. Uh, our number, let's let's just, let's look at what 105 is. 105 is X-Men versus Agents of Atlas. Number six is, what, 106 is what if the X-Men had stayed in Asgard. Uh, and then all the way near at the bottom, we've got X-Men. Phoenix, Legacy of Fire, and The Draco. So some good, some very bad. Yes. I think that this Gambit story is worse than Brood Trouble and The Big Easy. 
at number 123. That's a good place to start because this is where this whole mythology gets kicked off. And I would agree that it, it you know, <laughs> that has a completely over the top thing with the fact that the, the brood and ghost rider are involved in it. So um, I think that's a good place to start. Can I make a concession um, on a floor? Yeah, go for it. I think this is probably better than X-Men 39, Birds of a Feather, where Adam X hangs out in the snow with uh, Scott Summers' grandpa. I agree. Um, if Which we're is talking... a tight window there. I yeah. thought it was a wider one. It's not. No. Uh, um, I might put this a slot below Spider-Man Perceptions. Um, if we're talking about 90s stories, I feel like that maybe edges this out a little bit. Um, but I also think that I may, I enjoyed this more than X-Men Origins Jean Grey, um, which had beautiful artwork, but maybe just seemed like a story that we've heard before. I think that's that is fair. OK, I think that is perfectly fair. We can make this our new number 126 Gambit. All right. Now, just Gambit, just Gambit. Um, and it's interesting because Howard Mackey then revisited this very soon after um, in another miniseries, which we're going to talk about now. Call Rogue. That's right. Yeah, Shiga. Uh, <laughs> we got we got Rogue. She from Mississippi. And I think we have another pretty solid art team here. We've got Mike Ringo. Yeah, we got Ringo on this one. It looks yeah, good. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I, I really like the art. So we've got Mackie writing and oh, and uh, and Terry Austin doing inks. Um, Terry Austin's definitely uh, an inker that I, I really like. So another really great art combo. And um, this is a straight up sequel to what we just talked about. Yes, and it does a smart thing uh, to make it feel fresh enough. Uh, by switching the POV character from Gambit to Rogue here. Yes. And that works because now instead of dealing 100% with the T's Guild and the Assassin Guild, uh, you deal with an unresolved point from Rogue's past, which was uh, Cody, the first boy she kissed. Like saying boyfriend doesn't even make sense. That She was, what, 11, 12 at most? Right. Like she hit puberty, kissed a boy, and things went very bad for her. In one of the best classic X-Men backup stories ever made. Uh, and folks, if you've never seen that before, track it down. It is outstanding. Um, but Cody has been in a coma ever since. Um, so there is a, a nursing home that, you know, he's still alive in. And apparently Rogue makes an annual visit to Cody um, because she still feels so much guilt about that moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I like Rogue as a character way better than Gambit in mm -hmm. general. Of so, course. So I welcome this kind of change in uh, change in perspective here, because what we get is now instead of Gambit trying to deal with his own family stuff, we get uh, Rogue having to deal with Gambit's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rogue Rogue has to deal with the fact that uh, uh, Contra is. Uh, kind of manipulating belladonna who is mm -hmm. now feeling a lot better and doesn't have her memories because rogue stole them uh, so she has to live with that guilt uh and belladonna eventually 
gets just very mad at Rogue. She knows Rogue stole her memories and stole her husband. And she kind of goes after her, captures a bunch of people, captures Gambit, captures uh, uh, captures Cody, uh, which was that, very easy because he was comatose. And yeah, that, captures... that was easy pickings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... And Tantamati. And Tantamati. Uh, and yep. Rogue has to go save him. And mm-hmm. has to confront Belladonna, which... On one hand, you can... Uh, you can read this as a story about two women fighting over a guy in what's up or what's you know supposed to be the story of rogue but from another probably more charitable reading you can see it as rogue having to deal with all this crap in her life and her past and a lot of her bad choices coming i think her yeah i think it reads more as that like it it's definitely not set up as two women fight over gambit um no it's much more set up that belladonna is like has a legitimate grievance that her past has been robbed from her and rogue is just pissed because all she was trying to do was go and visit this person who she feels so much guilt about um in her past and it it just forces her to kind of confront the mistakes that she's made um and you know, like any good superhero comic, it, it uh, leads to fisticuffs, including Kandra taking away um, Rogue's powers so that she has to fight Belladonna as a as a person um, instead of a mutant. Uh, the problem is Rogue's very good at punching people in general. <laughs> <laughs> right. She does get a, get stabbed um, as part it of this. It gets a little stabbed. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Turns out Belladonna is also very good at killing people, considering she is the head of a group called the Assassin Guild. um and the story does culminate with uh the death of cody um who is unceremoniously like launched (laughs) out of a building from a from a real high height um the one thing i did find a little bit strange about this is that there there's a scene where cody kind of as a child in the afterlife forgives rogue and i gotta say that it's cute but rang a little false to me like if this truly were i i don't i don't know how to read this scene you know what i mean clearly cody wouldn't have you know a a full complete like adult consciousness given what happened to him um but it, it is an odd scene to see him sort of like floating in the afterlife or, or or sort of a purgatory of some sort and forgiving rogue uh for denying him his existence i i don't know what, what think, was your take I on think, that scene i think you can fix that scene and i think that scene is actually or what the scene's trying to do is necessary for the emotional resolution of the story yes i agree it's handled a little bit clunky in this but i would i read it more as rogue essentially forgiving herself for something she could not control and something that she obviously felt an immense amount of guilt and responsibility for. It became her motivating thing. I mean, her entire life now revolves around not touching people, not kissing people, not doing Mm -hmm. anything. So look, I, I think, I think it works better if you, I think if they were, if they would have just drawn it as rogue as a kid, like and as a flash like she sees herself in that moment as the same kid that made a mistake an accident that couldn't do anything and it caused cody to lose his life 
I think that would make it read a little bit better and really hit the notes they were trying to hit. But mm-hmm. I think I think personally the scene works well enough as it stands, and you have to have something like that. You have to have something where the albatross is lifted off of her shoulders. Yeah, I mean that is the arc of this story. We get introduced to the fact that we're revisiting this uh, this character for this particular reason. So it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense if there wasn't resolution to it. Um, it's, it's just an odd way to go about it. Sure. Um, I'm I'm sensing you like this better than the Gambit. I did. Uh, I mm-hmm. like Michael Ringo's art better than I like Lee Weeks's art in general. I think the story is a little bit smaller in scope. There's not. We didn't really touch on it in the Gambit story, uh, but that's a co- cross country story that goes from uh, Westchester to Nolens to Paris and back again, and all this stuff. Where this Rogue One is a lot more contained. That's true. It's it's, it's all in one location, um, and it I, has I less it, characters too. Yeah. I think it's a little tighter of a script. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little less silly world building that you get with like trying to figure out the secret history of the T's and the Assassin's Guild (laughs) Uh, and uh, more focused on the character elements, the soap opera stuff that I really like about especially early 90s Rogue and Gambit. Like there's a reason for some people Rogue and Gambit are the X-Men couple. Yeah, I'm, you know, if you're going to read this one, though, you do kind of have to go back and at least like speed read through the gambit. Oh, yeah, um, it's nonsense otherwise. Right. You're, you're going to have a lot of time, a lot of hard time uh, kind of figuring it out. Um, I mean, I think it's unfair to kind of compare the two art teams here because, I mean, Weeks and Jansen are absolutely killing it on the gambit mini. Um, and the combination of, of Ringo with uh, Austin inks, it, it's also very good, very different style. Um, oh, yeah. A little, little bit more cartoony, um, but it is very good visual storytelling and, uh, you know, sells the emotions too um, of, of the characters and how they're reacting to each other throughout the story. Um, so we used Brood Trouble and the Big Easy as. Um, as our starting point last time is this better or worse than that i think this is better than brood trouble in the big easy but i'd like to hear your thoughts um yeah i i think this is pretty solid it builds off one of like i mentioned one of my favorite classic x-men stories i think it does a really good job of of focusing a little bit more on um you know a tighter script and i, I think mackie is learning you know a little bit about how to, to write just a solid sequel here. He's, he's very talented. Um, I'm just kind of curious about like how high you'd be willing to go because. Let me I, ask this. Yeah. Do you think this is better than Rogan Gambit's wedding in X-Men Gold number 30? Where do we have that? We have that at 116 right now. I would put this ahead of Till Death Do Us Part. Okay. Okay. So let's, uh, let's look on, look on up. Okay. Uh, 114. We have the uncanny X-Men annual with Caliban and Jubilee in the sewers. I think this is better than that. All right. Do you um, like this better or worse than children's crusade or ch- childhood at childhood's end slash crusade, uh, where all the new X-Men kids die? Huh? I think I like this better, but I don't think I like it better than the two Australian X-Men story that we have right above that. 
Okay, so this is 102 or 103? I think it would be 103. Yeah, that's a good place for it. Awesome. So this is Rogue Volume 1. Nice. And now we're going to do a contemporary, uh, not (laughs) even a spiritual sequel, just a story. Yes. Similar time. uh, And, you know, if there is a another triangle to rogan gambit it is the man who hates gambit more than anybody else and that is our good friend bishop i think people need to cut bishop some slack at this point can we can we have this conversation first oh sure please go ahead guys bishop did some bad things uh you mean some genocidal things Bishop blew up a planet to kill a child, and that's not great. But, guys, if we're going to have Bishop in stories, and we do have Bishop in stories, we got to move past it. The stories Um, have done what they feel is adequate to resolve that. Cable and Hope have both said their piece to Bishop. We need to also, in turn, say our piece. I'm going to play devil's advocate here as a Bishop fan and say, Oh, I would still love to see that aspect of the transition explored a little bit more, which I know that Marvel is not going to do um, because it's a weird, it's a weird dangling plot thread, like not even dangling, just like not resolved as neatly as people would want plot thread. Yes. Yes. They've moved way past from, Oh, yeah. No, there's too much continuity that they've now established since Soul reintroduced Beast, uh, Beast Bishop, you know, and basically hit the big red uh, X reset button, um, you know, that basically said, hey, Bishop's cool again, and we're back to status quo. I would like to see some of the more, you know, controversial aspects of the character explored. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I don't think that it really should just be like swept under the rug. Um, I think that there are aspects of the character that would be interesting and timely to, uh, to go through. That's why I'm excited about, you know, when we were talking to Vita about prisoner X, I think that prisoner X gives an opportunity to kind of explore the character in a new way. Um, but, uh, I think we're, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're sticking to the present here. This series is like key, <laughs> original flavor bishop right here oh yeah um, this is this is OGXSE bishop oh yes he's so, got a jerry curl he's got a laser gun he's got a hologram I, sister i don't know if i'd refer to it as a jerry curl uh we have john Os- ostrander writing and we have a really great art pair here we have carlos pa- uh, pacheco and cam smith inking um wow this is fun. Yeah, it looks good. It looks real good. Uh, it's it's a fun story where Gambit uh, is not in it because Bishop is the character that we're talking about. Well, hold on a sec. Gambit does get a good punch in the face. Um, he does. I'll be honest. I mix up those two so much. <laughs> just um, name alone. Gambit, Bishop, early 90s. It just I, I know they're very different characters. I'm aware, people. This is my personal failing. But we we get introduced to one of the uh, rogue uh, criminals who slipped through the time stream with Fitzroy. And that is uh, this (laughs) weirdo named Mount Joy, um, 
Who boy? Who has business puns for powers? Yeah, uh, they're bad puns too. I hate them. I hate those <laughs> puns. Yeah, Mountjoy is dumb. Um, he can kind Thank of you. like hitchhike onto other people, uh, and or like absorb other people. It's basically an excuse for Bishop to go on his own, you know, uh, adventure in New York City with hologram sister Shard <laughs> and have some some great flashbacks uh, to his future and, and his past. So our future has passed and it's told beautifully. I mean, the, the artwork is stunning and uh, it's it's kind of slight in that it's really just him hunting down this villain and having to make a decision about whether to kill him or not. But I think it's pretty effective. Yeah, it it works. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the plot is kind of the most boring part about this because Mountain Joy is not interesting. No. And the conflict of is Bishop going to kill this guy or not is interesting. It's less interesting when Bishop says, I'm not going to kill him, but then walks out with five large guns. Because <laughs> I don't believe you, Bishop. You have right. several guns. And your entire body is also a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe this is overkill? I don't know. <laughs> uh I think what really does make this fun is the inclusion of Shard. Um, I like Shard. And I like Shard. having Shard her good. be able to not just exist as a character in the danger room, but um, having Forge hook it up so that Shard can kind of hit, you know, hang out with Bish on his missions. Um, yeah, you know, kind of well. hanging off the back of a motorcycle, and uh, it, it's cool. I think that that stuff is really fun as are the time flashes where we get little peeks into his, uh, his backstory. I think those are really cool. Um, so if you like Bishop, I think you will enjoy this series. Yeah. It's, it's got some really good Bishop moments. It's got a boring villain who like takes over people's skin and all this stuff and should be more interesting than he is. But it's the problem with all of it's the same problem with Trevor Fitzroy. He's just kind of evil. Mm. He's not trying to do nothing. He's just a bad dude. Yeah. And that, that is, you know, a, a problem with sort of the upstart generation of villains that come out of this era, which is, you know, you're not, we were just talking about Kendra, like, well, what's Kendra want? I mean, she hooked up with Gambit. She wants to kind of mess around with his life. Um, I, I don't think anything's really that different here. Like Mountjoy is in this because he has a sick fascination with kind of making Bishop suffer um, and, and wants to just cause chaos. So, you know, we don't get a deeper motivation there. Um, nope. And, you know, it, it, it serves more as a plot device to figure out whether the, the whole question that keeps getting asked is, is Bishop a member of the XSE or is he an X-Man? And uh, that that in itself is sort of <laughs> a bit dicey, too, because we see the X-Men kill sometimes, too. Um, yeah, guys, the X-Men, the X-Men have murdered uh, more than once. They are they are not Spider-Man level. The X-Men never kill uh, their Iron Man level of. Well, look, sometimes things happen. Right. Um, and this is, is this pre or post fatal attractions? Uh, I'm not sure. 
let's say pre-fatal okay. attractions maybe it is post honestly no clue i'm not sure it's it's an interesting thing it was it's 1994 well, that this came out but like forge and storm are on talk on speaking terms um it might be mid fatal attractions hmm that could be interesting uh, it, it would have been it would have had to be before forge joined x factor right which happens pretty soon or that happens between phalanx covenant and fatal attractions okay uh so i i think it's probably in that era man if we were like a podcast that did research we would know <laughs> we would just be able to know this and not ask this question on the air um that's okay i i was just curious because this does seem to be floating in some weird space where it's not actually set when it's published um and that's okay but it is interesting that you know this might be coming out at a time when you know it's always ironic when charles xavier tries to be morally superior to the other characters um don't yeah, do that he's don't really do that, trying Jack. to be morally superior in this one <laughs> yeah uh so yeah, I think if you're a Bishop fan, um, I, I ended up getting these in floppies. Unfortunately, Marvel Unlimited only has the first issue, um, which, which is I think wild, is, which is bogus and dumb. Like, let's let's get on that, guys. Um, but the, uh, the back issues are fun. They have, um, you know, sort of a cardstock cover. They're all shiny. They have like little elements of them on each of the covers that uh, are reflective. So uh, I don't know. Definitely worth checking out. Um, in terms uh, fun of fact, this is this is not only post uh, Phalanx Covenant, mm-hmm. this is concurrent with Legion Quest. What? It's also concurrent with X-Men slash Captain Universe, the hero who could be you. I don't know about that. That seems. Wait, you don't know about you don't know about Captain Universe? Uh, no. And the awesome Enigma Force? I don't know. And the I'm fact just... that they just wrote your name into a comic book? <laughs> no, I've heard of that. I just, I don't think that that lines up with the timeline that we're actually seeing in this book. Um, not that, not that it's, it just seems like it's designed to kind of not be like heavily continuity based. You know, it almost seems like it's like, hey, this is a misadventure from the animated series to a certain extent. Kind of, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's um, a, this is a weird comic. Yeah, uh, it's not bad. It's just not like the best thing. I enjoyed it a lot. I think the art is fantastic. Um, if you remember, uh, oh, and I want to give a quick plug here because um, the art that uh, Pacheco is doing here reminds me a lot of the old Wizard Magazine Bart Sears Brutes and Babes series. Um, if anybody okay. remembers that. Um, and I just want to do a quick plug. If you guys haven't been, um, Ed Pisker started this YouTube thing where he goes back. I forget who the other guy is on the show. I apologize. Other guy on the show. Um, but they do this thing where they've been going through every issue of wizard magazine and doing like a two hour breakdown of every single thing in the magazine, including like pulling out copies of every single thing that's referenced in the issue. It's outstanding. Um, but one of the things that was in those issues was Bart Sears doing these drawing tutorials called Brutes and Babes. And this reminds me a little bit of that. So there's there's an added nostalgia factor, um, even if it's not the same artist. How did you feel this compared to something like the Gambit mini that we just uh, that we just talked about? I thought it was better than Gambit, but I thought it was worse than Rogue. OK, I think that's fair. 
So we know we're going somewhere in between here. Um, how do you think it stacks up? You just mentioned Phalanx Covenant. How do you think it stacks up to the Generation Next arc of Phalanx Covenant? I like Generation Next better. Okay, so we know it's lower than 108 and it is higher than 127. Um, but I like it. I like it better than Negative Zone War at 110. Looking down a little bit. Yeah, I do too. I, I, all right. So that's a real tight bubble. So the only other thing we have there is Madripoor Knights, um, which is UXM 268. Is, um, hmm. I feel weirdly the exact same about both of these comics, which tells me that this list is infallible. <laughs> uh, I, oh boy, that's tough. I mean, I'm a Bishop fan, so I think I like this more. Then it's done. Then it's done, Adam. No explanation necessary. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. I know, but I know that there are going to be X-Men purists out there who are going to be like, what? You just put that above X-Men Uncanny X-Men 268? I already, I already typed it into Excel as 109. I love it. All right. It's so it's already our new done. 109. It's, it's taken care of. If someone doesn't <laughs> like it, they can... They can start their own show. They could do. They can do their own two-hour YouTube videos. We don't do YouTube. No, We're I was not talking at about Discord. This. And, talking about uh, Jim Rub. Um, all right, new one hundred and nine. That was great. I I highly recommend that if you love this era, you check this out. Um, very yeah. high quality, fun stuff. I not read the Bishop one. It was it was fun. It's yeah, it's very nineties. <laughs> yeah, nineties oh, All the best ways. Oh. Anyway, Eric Cotton, thank you so much uh, for taking us down on this journey to Nalens, to uh, to Bishop's Bishop's timeline in the Summer's Rebellion, and to just all the fun that we had today. If you want to be like Eric Cotton, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. You can toss in a couple of dollars, and we'll just make an episode about your thing. And it'll be good. And it'll be fun, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I am just forgetting. My website's XavierFiles.com, right, Adam? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. You just got back from C2E2, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I have. Well, I will be a week out from ConCrud at the point that y'all listen to this. So <laughs> I'm probably better. I probably had a great time. Uh, Chris Claremont and me are best friends now. Uh, friendship with Fabian over. My new best friend is Claremont. <laughs> uh, no, but I bet I had a really good time with a bunch of friends of the show. And if I saw you there, uh, and I know there's a handful of people who I'm not staying in the same Airbnb with that I will know and see at C2E2, uh, we probably had a great interaction. You remember that funny thing you said? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be such a long show. Oh, uh, I should mention this because it'll be the future. I am going to be at Gem City Comic Con uh, April 27th and 28th, which is right around the corner. Uh, that is in illustrious Dayton, Ohio. Uh, so if you're in the Midwest, I mean, come or don't. It's really, if you're within like a two-hour drive, probably worth it. Uh, I'm going to have a table with stuff to sell. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, 
I will. I've I've pretty much decided I will draw you an X Men character, uh, out of crayon, for <laughs> very small amounts of money, uh, which is an excuse to pitch the podcast to you and have you pay for it. I like that. I, like I know that. I'm a I'm a tricky tricky devil like that, aren't I? Because you have to sit there and watch me draw Gambit's Gambit's funny little sock head. <laughs> Uh, anyway, also Twitter is where I'm at. Xavier Files, you know this stuff. Adam, people can find you where exactly? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. We've got new pages of Bish and Jubes, the cross time conundrum coming out every X Men Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. And, and can uh, I say that, Adam, you are doing some of your best work on these? I have loved oh, seeing the pages. Thank you, like, Zach. Legitimately. I get mad because they're so good. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I can enrage you like that, Zach. Uh, all right. So where are we going next? I forget. Oh, we're going to the. Well, hold on. Uh, well, maybe next week is going to be an episode where all the interviews that I did for C2E2 show up. Is oh, that what I have on the schedule? I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe we're talking about the O5. OK, so one or the other. One or the other. Uh, it'll honestly depend how many how many good five minute interviews I did at C two E two. Well, God speed something. To anyway, let's focus and let's end this podcast. Just say the line. This is the experience. We hope you survived it. Get it.